0: Hello and welcome to the 99th episode of the Rugby Conversation podcast. I'm Mr. David, a journalist at BBC Sport Wales, and as always, I'm joined by Westgate Sports Agency's Stephen Thomas. Hi, Steph. Hi. How are you? Very well, thank you. But to start this week's podcast, a little public notice um, to say sadly, this will be the penultimate episode of the Rugby Conversation. We've decided to bring it an, to an end with a, a hundredth and final show uh, in the first week of July for a variety of different things. I won't get. Um, too in detail and bore you with it really so we'll have two weeks off uh, over the next fortnight or so as I'm on holiday um, and then we'll return for one final uh, ep- podcast um, the start of July but Steph let's get back to the rugby then Wales continued the June summer tour out in Argentina with a 23 points to 10 win over the Pumas Um, how impressed were you by the Performance a result of Warren Gatlin's side.
1: I was very impressed. Uh, personally, I think it's the most positive Welsh performance or victory for quite a while. My thoughts on the national side has been quite well documented. You know, I think it's it, it had gone very um, very stagnant, very stale. But in all to of Warren Gatland, I think he has tried to move forward. You know, over the past year or so he ha- you know, we've considered the autumn and the Six Nations, he has um tried to blood a number of new players and <clears throat> the most positive thing was that he gave players opportunities, he gave the likes of Adam Beer, Dylan Lewis, James Davis opportunities and in, in a a very hostile arena they they came out fighting and they, they stood up and performed and you know, recorded a very, very comfortable victory. I mean, it, it must be said Argentina were pretty poor. Despite putting a lot of forward pressure on Wales, they they, they run out of ideas behind the scrum and they were, they were pretty toothless. But, you know, Wales were, you know, physically I thought Wales were better. Um, James Davis was outstanding. Argentina couldn't, couldn't cope with them at the breakdown. And they showed some invention behind the scrum as well. And, one of the most positive aspects of the, of the victory for me was Dylan Lewis at tight dead. You know, we always bemoan more the lack of depth that in you know that crucial tight end proposition. Uh, you know, we got Samson, we got Thomas Francis who can do a job, and now we have got Dylan Lewis as well, who we know can stand up at international level and and he'll get better. So that Dylan Lewis's performance for me was the the most pleasing thing really, and um, you know, hopefully, come the World Cup, we'll. Um, you know we've been in a decent position.
0: There was a lot of talk of how how much form um, Argentina were in, considering all their squad played for the Jaguares, and there were six matches unbeaten the Super Rugby. How disappointed were you to see that they kind of didn't transfer that um, those performances from the Jaguares sides into the international setup?
1: I was surprised. Um, if you look at Argentina's recent record at test level, it's pretty dire. Um, <laughs> There's no getting away from that. I think it's about two wins in fifteen odd games, um, which is you know poor, obviously. But you know, as we know, they are virtually the Haguares who are the Super Rugby side, and they've been on fire recently. You know, Daniel Hawkins said that in the build-up to the Wales game that they were unbeatable, and, and, it, and it did feel like that. But I don't know whether they underestimated Wales because they, <clears throat> you know, because they rested a lot of players and they had a lot of inexperienced players out there. Um, or, or if they hadn't done their homework on the likes of James Davis, who was a huge pest at the breakdown. They, they they just couldn't handle him. Um, not just Davis obviously, you know, the, the back row in general and they just couldn't uh, handle the, the way that Wales went about slowing down Argentinian ball, how they were competing at every breakdown. It wasn't just Cubby, it was George North won a penalty, Josh Adams won a penalty, Dylan Lewis won a penalty. They just that was the key area, really. They, they just couldn't cope with that. And, and Wales, obviously, defensively, have always been world-class and they couldn't break them down. But over the past couple of seasons, Argentina have been excellent being the scrum. They've always been able to create, and they created nothing. It just bish, bosh, bish, bosh. Whenever they got close to the line, they tried to bully Wales. Uh, and that when that didn't work, whenever they went wide, they just ran out of ideas very quickly. And Wales were, were very happy for them to have the ball, really. That's how poor they were so I was very surprised because in Super ugly they've been they've been the opposite of that, haven't they? So yeah, um, I'm very surprised.
0: Um we'll look ahead to the second test um in Santa Fe towards the end of the podcast and we'll now let's just glance over a few of the other fixtures that took place last weekend. Um, firstly, Steph in Eden Park. Um, the All Blacks scored. Uh, I think it was forty six and answered second half points to beat France fifty two eleven. Um, the match has kind of been overshadowed by uh, Ofatungafasi and Sam Kane's tackle on um, Remy Grosso that uh, the referee didn't didn't think it was worthy of a of a of a uh, like any sort of proper warning towards the All Blacks, which has kind of opened a big can of worms of are the All Blacks um, picked on or are they given a bit more leniency by the referees? Neither Tungfasi or Sam Kane have been cited for it when Remy Grosso is uh, well, he's on his way home now to France with um, a quite a serious injury to his uh, head. How did you assess it? Sh- should it have been given a red card, a yellow card or even a red card?
1: Well, I think first of all, the um, the French yellow card should never have been a yellow card. Um he was a penalty, nothing more and I think he was quite poor from Luke Pierce not to refer that to the TMO. So if he's been consistent, Sam Kane's tackle should have at least have been uh, have resulted in a yellow card, but the offer Tunga um almost shoulder charge to the head. I mean you know a lot of people have flagged up Nigel Owen sending Tafao Felice off in the Glasgow Cardiff Blues game early in the season um, for much less than that and look, you know the fact of the matter is you know the the issue rugby union has got at the moment is inconsistency in decisions and obviously it's completely understandable the ref can't can't see everything on the field of play but if he was being consistent you know surely the, the TMO should have should have called that to his attention and as I said, if he's been consistent, then Kane should have had a yellow card. But Tunga Farsi's hit, was with the shoulder, uh, it didn't look like there was much of an attempt to wrap the arms and he was to the head. Uh, and it's obviously resulted in a serious injury. I'm not particularly keen on looking at the the injury as much because players can, you know, you don't want to take the injury into consideration too much because obviously players can have serious injuries from completely legal tackles, but fact of the matter is in my opinion it was an illegal hit to the head which has caused which has caused injury and and, and in my opinion it should have been a red card and I know a lot 90% of rugby tweets I've seen regarding it have agreed with me on that so look um, I think it's pretty scandalous that the All Blacks uh, haven't cited him um, you know I think that that's poor um, you know and, and there is a long list of incidents involving the All Blacks that probably should would have, have merited red cards and haven't, haven't been dealt with by the authorities but this particular incident I, I think Keane should have had yellow and I think Tungavasi should have had red and gets very poor officiating
0: Yeah there's the second test in that series to come today, which we'll also talk about very very shortly Um, Elsewhere we saw Australia beat Ireland by 18 points to 9 Um just how impressive were australia or was it more ireland looking a bit rusty and making a few too many mistakes i
1: uh, thought so australia thoroughly deserved the victory it was a good test match wasn't it it was a, it was a real physical battle it was
0: brutal um, wasn't it that first 20 minutes half an hour the hits were massive
1: you you could tell that you know australia had done their homework Checker had done his whole, he knows I was being set out obviously, but he, they'd really done their homework and, the, and they were prepared for the level of physicality that Ireland were going to bring. And physically, Australia won that mm. and they won the game line. Um, there were periods in the game where, especially the first 20 minutes after half time, Ireland were, were pretty dominant in that period. CJ Stander was held up over the line. How did
0: he not score that? How on earth did he not score that?
1: I don't know. I mean, uh, he is a back rower. Saying that there's a lot of fast back rowers, I mean, he probably should have <laughs> scored, but it's more credit to the defence, in my opinion. Dane Hayler Petty, I think, was heavily involved. He did a great job there. It was a great scramble defence, but he should have scored.
0: Should he have to pass, do you think? They've they, they really missed Gary Ring
1: Rose at 13. They created absolutely nothing, really, did they? Um, and, you know, people are crying for Carberry and you know, sex sorry, for sexton when Sexton came on, he missed his touch from a penalty. Uh, and and that, that was a real turning point. But the the, the key area in this game was did David Pocock. He was absolutely phenomenal. Mm. I mean he should have he got penalised
0: wrongly twice yeah, the break. So bizarre.
1: Should have been it the first one. It was this ridiculous referee and it would never have as an, an obvious a, a breakdown penalty as that. You know, Pocock was, was phenomenal. Any time Ireland got any momentum, ball was slowed down. And if he's fit, come World Cup time, Australia serious contenders. And, you know, the key, I suppose, was the, the fact that Australia were able to stand up to them physically and they were far more creative behind the scrum. And I think one, one of the real key moments is when they brought Fur, Ireland brought Furlong off the bench, might have been in the best title prop in the world, and he got absolutely mullered in the scrum. Uh, and, and that summed it up, really. But I I really think this test series is a long way from being finished. I, I think Ireland are going to gonna really come back strongly this
0: weekend. I spoke to a friend of the podcast, uh, Jamie Crummer, who's spoken to us about his food ordering app, Too Good To Go. And he's a um, massive Ireland fan. And he was just... He enjoyed the test match, but quite rightly with you, Steph, there he realised that Australia just... Um, outmuscled Ireland to a certain extent and that left them quite frustrated really sorry just, just on um, on Ireland as well like, you know, obviously I mentioned
1: Gog, he's different league to in the world really as a seven and he, I know he played six but he's playing the role of the seven but Ireland really really missed Dan Levy I mean that guy's been a revelation this season and Charlie Murphy's a good player but he ain't, he ain't a seven he's not an out and out seven uh, he's not really suitable to dealing with someone like Paul Uh Levy was, was badly missed and Dare I say, a tight burn might have made a bit of a difference. And um, he's a breakdown specialist as well. And if you added Levy and Burn into the mix, it changes the dimension of Ireland's pack and is probably more suitable to to
0: beat in Australia. So be interesting to see if Burn gets an opportunity on the weekend. Yeah, Levy was was one name that Jamie was also crying out for. Um. So and then the the fourth fixture of our games of the week from last weekend uh, was at Ellis Park, Johannesburg. As the Springboks beat England by forty-two points to thirty-nine, despite Eddie Jones' side uh, going up uh, twenty-one points in the opening twenty minutes. Out of those four matches we've talked about, Steph, or the three and then this one now, was this the bit the the closest to like a proper Test match? You think?
1: Well, the Ireland
0: one. No, the South Africa England one. Sorry.
1: I think there was a crack in the rugby, wasn't it? Um, but that that was a, a, a classic game, wasn't it? Um, there's a few future question of sport, answer, um, you know, questions in there. Um, but I think that oh, I was remarkable. I mean, I was watching a game, and England played really well for the first twenty minutes. Best they played for a long time, probably. Um, but South Africa were equally is poor. But, you know, the two wingers just couldn't tackle. You know, uh, Mike Brown's try, as well as Mike did. You know, it was awful defense. you should never have scored that. Um, but you know, the, just the energy that South Africa had, how they clicked into gear. I thought clue you know, was wonderful. Um, he 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 just England's back row just could not cope with the speed mm. and, and how he was he was attacking the fringes and he was changing the sort of dimensions behind the scrum. You know, he 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 re, he was really able to get that that momentum going for South Africa and. You know, I, I thought Billy Vannipolo was really poor. And uh, if you contrast his performance with Dwayne Vermeulen, who who was excellent. Um Tom Curry was is obviously a talented player and he, he made one good surge in the second half, but he was thrown around like a rag doll at the breakdown and Rob Show was completely ineffective. Uh, and they obviously they brought Shields on. He's had some criticism, but wrongly so because he was com- completely out of position. Thought that was unfair from Eddie Jones. Um, England really, really could not stop the flow of quick ball coming from the breakdown. Um and, and if you look at Wales, for example, I know, you know, we will we'll obviously um, get on to that a bit later maybe, but if you look at what James Davis did, I mean he's probably fourth choice Welsh open side, but he would have walked into that England team and he would have made a difference. Um, you know, when a VD, Ellis Jenkins, Warburton, etc. They would have all made a difference. Uh, and Ireland missed that out now out seven and England you know, I know Curry potentially in the long run could be the answer, but he's not good enough at the moment. And England really missed that because South Africa were able to get quick ball all the time, and De Klerk was playing havoc with them. And and this, you know, this wasn't a perfect South African performance. They were defensively very weak, um, you know, and obviously tactically a bit naive at times. But they they just sort of got ahead of steam, and once they got momentum, England just couldn't stop them.
0: Yeah, that that quick ball you you mentioned it it meant that they could get the ball out wide quick as well, and then um a quick word for the the South African back three. Firstly, Willie Willie Larue, we all know what his ability is. He's been playing in test for quite a few years by now. But then the two debutant wingers in Afewa Diante and Sibusio and Kossi both scored on their debuts on Saturday. How impressed were you by them?
1: It was a damn miss, wasn't
0: <laughs> in attack
1: they were brilliant. You know, the tries they scored were excellent. Defensively they were poor. It's not beat on the bush. Uh should never have let some of the tries they did in. But they got serious talent, they got gas, they got great feet. You know, first test matches. You know, they got a big future, but um
0: positives as the, the negatives, but they are plenty to work on, I think. All right then. So yeah. That's those Big test matches and elsewhere last weekend uh, saw Georgia beat Tonga by 16 points to 15. Uh, Fiji beat Samoa. Uh, The USA smashed Russia by 62 points to 30. And then Scotland beat Canada 48 points to 10 in Edmonton. It hasn't been too great of a start for um, Kingsley Jones at the rain over in Canada. Steph, um, this week we've seen... World Rugby Under-20s continuing. Uh, the group stages came to an end and also uh, the semi-finals have taken place as well. For, from a Welsh perspective, they lost 39 points to 15 to Argentina. Um, Los Pumitas gained revenge on behalf of Los Pumas uh, there. So Wales will play Australia in a seventh place playoff on Sunday. Oh, sorry, Italy in a seventh place playoff on Sunday after the Azzurri lost to uh, the Wallabies. Would, would a seventh-eighth finish... Uh, be acceptable for Gareth Lewis, do you think, at the end of this tournament?
1: A bit disappointing, isn't it, really? Uh, it's been a mixed bag for him, to say the least. But I think the important thing to remember at under-20s level is it's not as much as you want to win. That's not the main goal. The main goal is producing five or six, hopefully more players that can play professional rugby and play for Wales at senior level in the future. And then there's talent in the team. I mean, you look at Tane Basham, I mean, he's destined for great things. Um, Ryan Combe are probably in that bracket. You know, you you've got players like um, Corey Baldwin, you and Nicholas, who are big futures and Kai Evans as well. So there's a lot of talent in that side. And just because you don't perform that well at 20s level as a unit, doesn't mean you haven't got players coming through. Uh, and when you look at somebody like England, um, you know, they're, they're 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 naturally bigger than the Welsh. They got more players to pick from, but again, that doesn't necessarily mean that it means that it transfers to the senior side. Um, So it's not results-wise, I suppose you know it's not great. But I have seen enough to suggest that there are players that will come through and do well with Wales. Uh, And if you want to, you know, ask if it's acceptable, then uh, you've only got to look at Ireland's plight, really, haven't you? So. um, to know that it could be worse. So yeah, it's it's not it's not great, but I don't think it's quite the apocalyptic scenario I've read
0: some
1: people <laughs> tweet about online.
0: There's been quite a lot of attention uh been given to Kai Evans, the son of former Wales uh, winger Yayan, Um he's been playing both fly half and fullback over um, opening four fixtures of the tournament. and um, from watching what you've from seeing what you've seen of Evans playing for Wales so far this championship, where do you think his long term future potentially lies? In the fifteen shirt or in the number ten jersey?
1: Number ten, uh, a shadow of a doubt. I don't think he's got the open up pace play fifteen. I think he can do a job there. Um defensively I, th- I think he was on one thing in a couple of games as well. Uh, but he learned from that you get back there. So what 20 is about, really. Man. I mean, you make mistakes at that level and you improve and you become better. But from what I've seen, his skills he's got huge potential. Uh, you know, you would expect him to have game time at regional level.
0: You'd hope know, so, wouldn't you, Definitely.
1: The Ospreys have signed signed to ten, have they? No. Um but yeah, I, I think outside half, I think he's got great game management. I think he's a terrific goal kicker and long distance one at like that. He's sort of guys has got good spatial awareness as well. He sees that for other people and he's quite he's got a lot of time on the ball. So, yeah, I, I think out to that without
0: a shard of a doubt. So it's up to um, Alan Clark now t- to pick him and give him a chance next season for the Ospreys. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, on Sunday, all finals will take place both from um, who will win it down to uh, the 11th place uh, final. Then whoever finishes 12th gets relegated to the World Rugby Under-20s Trophy. And as we I think we spoke about two weeks ago, that that's when the... Um, nipple line tackle uh, law will be trialled in the World Rugby Under-20s Trophy. They'll announce the time, date and location of that tournament at the end of this championship. Um, <clears throat> before we move on, just a quick reminder uh, about the guys who sort us out with our soundtrack in here Um with it being our pen- pen- penultimate episode of the Rugby Conversation. A big thank you to their, to their work and their partnership for allowing us to use their, their music. You can listen to more of from on bandcamp.com forward slash here. right Steph before we do preview um, the ple- plethora of test matches that we've got for the second Saturday in a row just a little bit of things here in Wales regarding coaching so Danny Wilson left the Cardiff Blues at the end of last season and was expected to join um, Dai Young at, at uh, the Wasps up in Coventry in the Aviva Premiership but now it looks like he's going to join Scotland as a forwards coach was this a bit suspri- surprising for you?
1: It's a big surprise. I Me, mean, obviously, Darnie has announced that um, he was joining Wasps, and Wasps had announced earlier in the season. Uh, you know, we haven't spoken to him uh, in the in the press. You know, he's very excited about his move up there. And I can only imagine that this was a thing that came out of the blue. Uh, you would have thought, wouldn't you? Um, look, you know, it probably wouldn't have been an easy decision for him. I mean, obviously, Wasps are going to get some compensation, and you know, I can understand if they're a bit annoyed at that. Because it's not ideal for them, it leaves them in a lurch a bit. But, you know, he's got a chance to go to the World Cup, hasn't he? Um, And and that chance might not come again, you just don't know, do so. And also, there's the whole thing I mean, technically, he doesn't have to move his family up to Scotland. International coaching isn't a 24 hour job, is it really? I mean, Warren Gatlin spends half a year in New Zealand, for example, so perhaps, I don't know what he's doing, but I'm you know, he doesn't necessarily have to move his kids out to school, etc., because he either has to do work. If he went to that as well, uh, but, but you know it, it's he's very, very good forwards coach, and from a Scotland perspective, it's um, it's a significant coup for. Him.
0: Uh, is it? Do you think he has gone up for that whole international experience? Because that is the step up, isn't it? From if you're gonna if you're gonna leave a region or a club or a province or franchise, it is international rugby, isn't
1: it? Yeah, I suppose so. um Yes, step up, isn't it? Falls coach at club level, or falls coach at international level. Um, you know, I think being a head coach at club level is probably higher than being a falls coach at international level. But yeah, I mean, it's you know, World Cups around the corner, some huge games for Scot Scotland. You know, yeah, it's just a big opportunity for him, and it's probably one that he couldn't turn down.
0: Yeah, and then some of the um, coaching news here in Wales, we've seen uh, former international lock Ian Evans uh, being appointed like a, an assistant forwards coach um, at the Dragons. He'll help out with the lineouts and also um, the t- kick-off reception, is what I've read. Um, w- what do you make of that? He hasn't been too much involved with coaching since he's retired. I know he's working at Tiorke in Division One, so that's at the fourth tier of Welsh rugby. Do you think he can make that step up back to regional rugby?
1: To be honest, I've no idea. Um, I don't know much <laughs> about Jan Do's a coach; who's a great player, but Bernard Jackman obviously wants to strengthen his backroom team. Everybody's on about players, obviously, and, you know, he's recruited players, but he, he needed to recruit coaches as well to, to, you know, to help him out, and, you know, I know he's probably in a couple of analysts, and and uh, and just strengthen the whole backroom team. I, I, I don't have no idea what a coach Jan Do is, but um, you know, clearly Jackman's seen something in him, and uh, you know, we'll be interested in next season, only Because uh, there's no excuses anymore. Uh, they need to see progress on the field, and um, he's got a stronger squad there, on and off the field. And um, you know, I'm sure the the Rodney Parade faithful will be demanding results.
0: Yes. So then, um, let's look ahead to some of the fixtures that are happening um, this weekend. These are all taking place on Saturday, um, you don't have to move from your sofa from, um, if you're really, really desperate, you have to move from your sofa from 2am on Saturday morning uh, and then you can stay there all the way until uh, Saturday night, uh, until about 9 o'clock but that's totally up to you if you choose to do that, um, <laughs> as a listener or whatever, totally your choice. But Steph, let's start with the what's taking place at Santa Fe at 20 to 9 Argentina against Wales. Wales finished their the season and finished their tour in Santa Fe, thirty three thousand seat stadium. And which changes do you think Warren Gatland should make to his team after the victory last weekend in San Juan?
1: Look, Warren Gartland set the stall out. I mean, technically, this you know this test series isn't. He obviously wants to win the games, but winning isn't the main objective. The main objective is finding out about players um, and increasing Wales' strength and depth looking towards the World Cup. With that in mind, you know, you're know probably looking at maybe Ryan Elias getting a run out of hooker. I know Elliot D played well last week, but Elias has done well off the bench and probably deserves an opportunity. Uh, I'd like to see Seb Davis have a chance at lock. Um, uh, you know, we, potentially, he could have a look and at Anskam at full-back. There will be a couple of of changes, but, um, you know, I think on the whole, whatever the result is in the weekend, it's been a successful tour because uh, more players have, uh, have put their hands up and they've given Gatlin more options moving forward towards the World Cup.
0: You mentioned one player there in Seb Davis. He's been playing quite um, open side flanker or in the back row really for Wales. Um, would you prefer to see him there or do you reckon put, move it back to Lock where he's been playing for his region?
1: I think he's a lock myself. Um, He's quietly effective in the weekend, but lock is his main position. And I think we've got a bit of depth in the back row anyway. So I'd I'd like to see him play lock myself.
0: All right, that's settled then. Um, There's talk of uh, Pablo Matera could miss the tie. He was a bit of a doubt for last weekend's fixture as well. So he could, but then he could miss this one as well. And Nicolas Sanchez as well. From the Argentinian perspective of things, what do they need to do differently? To be able to win this weekend as, as opposed to being the end and be on the wrong side of the defeat?
1: Well, they need to create more, they need to have more than one plan. You know, they, they try to bully Wales and they put them under pressure physically, but Wales' defence was far too good for that, and Argentina just created nothing and ran out of ideas. So, uh, first and first, they, they need to create behind the of scrum, and unless they do that, then uh, they'll be the same result again.
0: The Welsh back row, James Davis. would you keep him or do you think you'd bring in Ellis Jenkins, have a 6-7 combo?
1: I'd play both of them. I'd play Ellis a 6 and James a 7 myself. Um, I think that would be the way to go because uh, Argentina are probably bigger men and they but they really struggle at the breakdown. So if you've got two specialist uh, exponents of the breakdown then um, it's double trouble for them. It? So that's the way I'd go.
0: And then more generally on the tour, Steph, if if how how happy would Warren Gatlin be if he finishes off the season with three three wins from three in June?
1: He'd be delighted, um, especially considering he's rested a lot of players. Um, yeah, I, I think I think he'd be absolutely delighted. I think it's been a success regardless, really. But yeah, definitely, I think that's. Um, I think it's been a successful tour, and I think really well in the World Cup. You look back at this
0: too and think it was a turning point. Interesting. I like the way you're looking ahead to that one. Um. So, on to other fixtures that are taking place on Saturday. At 25-9, we've got uh, the second test and three-match series between the All Blacks and France in Wellington. Um, talk of someone like Kevin on being played at, at number eight, moving from open side. Do you think that's a wise choice by Jacques Brunel or do you think it's nine impossible for them t- to win out there in New Zealand so wh- whatever Brunel tries it's going to be to no avail
1: whatever he tries it's going to be to no avail I think um, <laughs> I just think that New Zealand are far too good I mean they were, they, France did okay for the first 50 on minutes of last week um, New Zealand were very rusty as they usually are in the first test of the season it's always your best chance to beat them in the first test um, but you know they they click later on and just think France haven't got the capability of beating Earth and being honest and I I can't see anything other than a, a very comfortable all black victory.
0: Uh, the defeat last weekend by fifty two points to eleven was France's fourth heaviest defeat in their history. Do you think it it could be even heavier than it was last weekend, or do you think Brunel side will keep it a bit tighter in Wellington? I
1: think they are probably got to keep it tighter. It's almost damage limitation, isn't it? Mm. Um, I know France has got some decent backs, but they're not remotely in New Zealand's uh, class. Of they no. So I think probably the best chance is, uh, is keeping it tight. But I, I just struggle to see anything barring an easy New Zealand win, to be honest with you.
0: All right, then. Over the Tasman uh, at 11 o'clock UK time. It's the second test between Australia and Ireland. Are you expecting to see Johnny Sexton back jo- yes. the Joe Schmidt side? Yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. Carmen is right, but Sexton is a, is a world-class player uh, and, and he knows how to, how to manage a game of this magnitude. And I'm fascinated by that because, you know, we've seen so many times the Am- uh, Northern who Am- sorry, win the Grand Slam and they go south and they, it goes pair-shaped um, England obviously with the exception in uh, when was was um, losing a plot you know 2016 um, you know they went to Australia and they won but I think Australia in a bit of a better place at the moment so um, I um, it's very tiff- this is a tough tough game to call um, but I do think Ireland have the capability of winning it
0: oh really interesting interesting they haven't won in australia since 1979 which will be quite an interesting if they manage to do that which i think they will and then um south africa uh, against england in blumfontein at five past four um eddie jones has made a bit of a an i don't want to say idiot but he's made himself look quite poor once again by having an altercation with south african fans at the end of last weekend as well um I don't know how many times i said this now, but he is slowly, you are starting to slowly see those cracks appear as he has traditionally done when he's coached other countries, aren't you, Steph?
1: Yeah, we said before when we had Paul Williams on the podcast, I mean, he made the point that, you know, if he'd been in a coma and he'd just woken up, you'd think that Ed, he was the best coach in the world. But you look <laughs> at his, you know, coaching career, it's, very, it's a mixed bag, isn't it? Yes. Um, and people look at his record in terms of test matches won. I remember when he was coaching Japan and a lot of them were against like, Singapore and China, for example. So Hong Kong, South Korea,
0: yeah. yeah. He, he's clearly a very good coach. Uh, but
1: I I, I I, just think England need to win this game, don't they? they? They're in a rut now, right? They, Everything Eddie touched when he first came in turned to gold. It was the ultimate hun- honeymoon period. England looked invincible. They were the only team the All Blacks would possibly, could potentially lose to. And at the moment they're struggling. They're a better side than the results show. They're going to be contenders in the World Cup because they've got so many players to pick from. They've got such physicality in their pack. But at the moment they're lacking. They're lacking. Uh, Their back row is really lacking. Uh, in a funny sort of way they improved their attacking game on the weekend. That gave them some hope actually I think. But if they lose to a South African side, which let's face it, it's, that was Erasmus's first proper game in charge of South Africa, they lose a test series to a, a, a South African side in its infancy, really. That's not looking good, is it? Uh, looking towards the World Cup. Uh, they're going to have to, you know, they'll have some serious issues to sort out. So this is a huge, huge game for England. And uh, the pressure's on them. Even though South Africa at home, pressure on England here and it um, can be fascinating to see how they react
0: It looks like um, the Tendai the beast Martellino will win his 100th cap uh, on the weekend as well just a quick word for him Steph how 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 much of a store what has he been for the spring Box?
1: Yeah he has he's been an underrated player is not he really I mean a lot of other players you know like Dwayne van and Matty botha uh, Joanne Smith etc, a, got got a lot of the headlines but he just quietly went about his business He's a very effective scrummager, a very powerful man, uh, just 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 a, a huge amount of experience. And I suppose he'll always be remembered in a main for two things: for that and um, holding that uh, shark's locker when <laughs> he fell and broke his neck in that Super Rugby game. And obviously giving uh, Phil Vickery the mother of all hidings, in, in the first test for the Lions in 2001. He gave him such a hiding that uh, Vickery said that when he went back to his uh, uh, into the change room, looked at his phone. He had a text coming from either his mother or his, uh, or his partner saying uh, saying that they still loved him.
0: So, uh, <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I think he, he's been a real stalwart, hasn't he? And uh, he, I'm sure he'll want to celebrate his hundred cap with a uh, with a Test series victory over over the old enemy.
0: Yeah. Um, so elsewhere, just so I run through those fixtures. If you do fancy doing that mammoth, um, two a.m. to midnight stint on saturday of just watching rugby you'll start off with uh usa against scotland at 2am on saturday and then you've got japan against italy um in kobe and then you'd have um uh and samoa and then fiji against georgia as well and then you can finish off with canada against russia in ottawa that kicks off at nine o'clock but steph um out of those four fixtures how do you think it's go Ar- Ar- argentina wales
1: I'm wary of this because there's
0: going to be a backlash so I'll go Argentina OK uh, I can't know the answer already but the All Blacks against France how many points are the All Blacks going to beat them by? Uh,
1: New Zealand by 35 at least
0: How's it going to go in Mal- Melbourne between the Wallabies and Joe Schmidt's Ireland? Uh, just
1: give, me ten minutes, give me a couple of minutes just flick his coin you know <laughs> um, Ireland
0: by oh, a point Feel free to change but it on Twitter if you if you want to could
1: go either <laughs> It'll be a draw. Who knows? By
0: Saturday he morning, if that. your if your opinion changes, feel free to to tweet, and we'll uh, make sure people see that. And then the Springboks against England.
1: I think England are unraveling. i know going South Africa, yeah.
0: All right, then. So you've got Steph's predictions there. If you want to um, let him know, or if you want to let us know here at the rugby conversation, what you think will happen this weekend feel free to send us your tweets on Facebook. But thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Rugby Conversation podcast. Remember, we'll be on a fortnight break uh, before a final and 100th episode in the first week of July. If there's anything you'd like us to discuss, any guests you'd like to hear from us, uh, just send us in your tweets at the Rugby Convo or send us a message on Facebook if you want to get some more information or if you've got some ideas for you. um, Feel free to get in touch. So enjoy the rest of this month's test matches. and we'll catch you during the open few days of July. Duff.